Hello, this is episode 337 of the Focal Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Rani. So I'm still stacking up episodes for the future. There's a sense that the pomp and ceremony that's taking place at the moment is not at all within keeping of where the world is at with the number of people who are displaced because of war, because of climate change, because of the the economic structure, even within the country where it's taking place, there is so many people queuing up for food banks. So it seems massively disjointed and out of keeping. And in a way, it's like history repeating itself. I started to see a lot of patterns in the behaviours of people now that I saw as being similar to the Victorians. And so I sort of went back and started to research this. And I started to research the transitions and the differences between the Victorians and the Edwardians. And that Edwardian period is is the period that I've already been talking about in terms of the workhouses, Florence Nightingale. And and that sort of that sort of transition zone which was just before the First World War. It was just before a pandemic, which we have just survived. And so there are so many similarities to history right now. There are so many similar conversations, the sense of inflation rising so dramatically, the sense of the middle class being eroded essentially that people are ending up in extremes and more of the middle class being pushed to poverty those figures are very obvious within the u.s after the pandemic and we have a massive wave of anti-semitism taking place across europe we have a sense of not wanting migration we have a sense of europe becoming incredibly whitest which one would argue that it always was. And there's just so many patterns, and I'm sort of sitting there looking at it and thinking, does the monarchy, does the state's people determine how everyone else behaves here? Or what happens? And it's quite interesting in a a way, because what I see is this obsession with status. And... I went to a show last night that was essentially all about how we're judged for our accent. I think I have traveled many different um, categories or boxes of being. It's quite interesting. I'm I'm very much a Northsider, which in in Dublin is, you know, the, the lower working class. My family are working class. I have no problem with with the identity and with admitting it. We've always worked in service. I still work in service to people. It's just different. My parents didn't have... Well, they essentially didn't have access to the education that they wanted to do. We won't go into that story. It's another story. But they were very happy to to go out and work their way up in the world. And they didn't have any support, really, to do that. And... It was very interesting to go to the show last night, and it's a different part of Dublin, but because of the mindset and the demographics and what took place in those communities, even though they didn't have any more or less than my parents, they didn't feel like they could go out and do the things that my own parents have done. 
And it's that, that mindset and that sense of space. At the same time, my parents didn't have aspirations to go up the food chain or to go up in class structure. And I certainly didn't have aspirations to do that. And so when I then ended up in a private school environment for my secondary school, I hated it. Like, I, I, I didn't fit in, I didn't want to play the games, I didn't talk about what I had or I didn't have, I didn't see myself as having anything. It was kind of like, well, that's my, what my parents have worked for. I, I don't have anything at this stage to show for myself. And, and all I can do is apply myself to do well academically because you've told me I can't because of my dyslexia. And so, so that was my battle to take place. And, and I hated the network and I hated the who's who. And I was only having this conversation again recently with, with another friend who's saying, you know, who's not from them, say, oh, it's a real Dublin thing to say what school you've gone to and to click to your set. I, when I walked out the door of that school, I didn't want to know anybody from it. I didn't care. I picked to go to a university on the far side of the country and to go to what was classed as a bog university because I wanted to get away from all those people. And so I went and I sat in that camp. I I went down the country to go to college, you know, which is something that Dublin people didn't do. And then I went over halfway through my degree to work in the UK, which again was something that you didn't do. But I went and I experienced that and I spent as much time as I could in London absorbing all the cultures and the atmospheres and taking it all in. And so like I, you know, I meet different people and they latch on to whatever different box of, of status that they want to put me in, whether that's Dublin, whether that's Northside, or whether that's, it's great because I'm, I'm, I'm an academic and I have a doctorate, so on the south side of the city, you know, oh, I seem to be very educated and, you know, I obviously know what I'm talking about, you know. Um, but, like, it's all rubbish. I, I, that, that's how I really feel at the end of it. But there is this obsession through humanity of status and this started to really come in in the Victorians and part of the reason for that actually was it was the start of mass media and it was the start of photography and there's big clinch moments I see in humanity where as we start to record ourselves we start to it starts to put an extra edge an extra pressure if you think about how we've moved now since social media podcasting YouTube, you know, there's this influence in society. We think we're making a difference because we're influencing people in this way. The only thing I'm hoping to influence people to do is to think for themselves. I, I don't come on here to have the answers. I come on here to make you look at yourselves and look at your life. And it was, it was so interesting with this show because by the end of it, I'm kind of like, yeah, it's great that you have your identity and your roots and you're being really proud of that. And really good and I, I went to the original writing on that the formed the pieces of the show but at the end of it I'm kind of like yes but you still really want to be middle class you still want to have everything that you think everybody else has that you don't have and that's what I didn't grow up with I just grew up with the sense of we have this and we have a family unit and we were happy and I, and I still have this sense of I have the freedom to be the best of myself and had the support to be that person and I'm happy and I show up in the world as myself and it doesn't matter what box you put me in or, or what identity 
or what status you want me to fit into. I'm just still sitting here happy that I can be myself. But the Victorians became obsessed with this. The Edwardians even more so. And the fascinating part for me is that I'm not sure that we can particularly hold the monarchy responsible for this because what tends to happen and this is what I saw in school was that sometimes the people who are trying to crawl their way up through these different rungs of status and actually really want to make it and want to be in the right set are the ones that are actually determining what everyone else should think. Does that sound familiar? Often the people who were trying so hard in school to, to prove that, you know, that they were in the right place and in the right set actually didn't have as much as the people who were quiet. And so King Edward is quite fascinating for me because he kind of had the worst parents in the sense that it's a very similar story to, to what I meet now every day. And it's almost the origins of it. They brought a bunch of specialists in to literally measure his head and say that his brain was too small, that they couldn't have any expectations of him. He wasn't going to learn anything, wasn't good enough. And then, you know, we have a series of letters from Queen Victoria on her son being hugely critical of him, pushing and pushing and pushing, you know, ac academia and him not being good enough and him huge expectations of him. Him, but yet at the same time not really having those expectations because you've already been told your child is a problem. Does this sound familiar? So this is almost the origins of this industry that we've built. And then what happened was that the Edwardians, you know, the Victorians were obsessed with their image, their status in that way, and their beautification and very strong divisions between the masculine and feminine. This was the era of the beards. And the Edwardians moved on to a much more horrible undercurrent of judgment. They became fascinated with eugenics. This was partly driven by Darwin's work, but not by Darwin, but this whole sense of the origin of species. And so the secrets and the status within family changed. And the way that we treated everything in society changed. Like we've always had mental illness and the Victorians wanted to take care of those people and build institutions and to rehabilitate them, to have them have a lot of contact with their families. Where suddenly the Edwardians wanted to hide if you had anything wrong in your family because that might be inherited and that would upset, you know, upset your status as to who you were going to marry and what sort of families you were going to marry into. So you sort of have all these secrets about what was seen as essentially breathing and the perfect species. And that was, that was the outside court society, higher society, determining that status and that judgment of people and that judgment of the idea of race being different species, the most disgusting writing about Africans, the most horrendous image, which I spoke about in my podcast in, in Patreon recently, like I'm not going to talk about that here, but, you know, um, it's this whole sense of how we measure species and people and who becomes important. That all came about. But at the same time, this is the, the fascinating thing, there was huge anti-Semitism starting to happen from Russia. 
there was a huge amount of Jewish Russian refugees coming into the UK. Um, they, you could be talking about it the same way. They had to prove that they had enough money. It would have been the equivalent of, I'm trying to remember how much it was now you needed to have in your pocket. It was a lot of money. Um, you had to prove that you weren't sick. You had to prove you didn't have any sort of mental illness. Yeah, you see, all this eugenics filtering down through who we took in to as refugees and who we looked after. Could we have exactly the same conversations now? Um, who was allowed to come into Europe? Um, but at the same time, the monarchy went against the government, and when they did go over to Russia, they sort of said to the Prime Minister that they weren't very happy about what was happening and how they were killing off the Jewish people. And that was long before the First World War. So you see all the patterns that we keep following, and a lot of those patterns are not actually necessarily always from these established figures that we associate them with. And as I've talked about in the last podcast, we don't really know how they feel because they don't actually openly talk about things. But what happens is all the people in this core structure who want to cling on to this society and everyone in society who wants to make their way up, they start to put these sweeping judgments on what is good, what is success, what is being in the right set. What do we hide from our family? What do we do with people that aren't perfect? How do we really view mental illness? How do we treat people? It, it's, quite a, it's quite a fascinating conversation on how we do this and on how our needs drive inflation, how our needs to, and, and our sense of privilege as to what resources we have and someone else doesn't have. It's not the state people who, who determine often these dynamics that take place. It's these families of the right sets and these right privileges that we, that we often vote in. And then you have people who come along who, who ultimately speak to all that disgruntlement in this, this middle class sector of society that's being squashed you kind of feel like well I've made it out of poverty and I'm better than that and my accent's now better and my identity's better and I've ditched all of that and I've done away with that generation of people that you know had a bit of mental illness we hid that in the family and you know we're doing much better here but we haven't quite made it to where we want to be and a leader will come along and speak to that disgruntlement and we will then move to the industrial strikes and the, the sense of fighting for your space. And in all of this, I'm kind of like, okay, how do I, how do I present this to you that we're not just going to repeat history, that we're not going to massively push up inflation, do away with the middle class, move to war because that gives everybody a position and a place to be in society. Um, wars are great. They're like maximum employment, maximum position for everybody, this sense of a, a level playing field, which of course they aren't. But that, that's almost how it, it's, it's sold to people and this patriotism and fighting for your space. And I'm kind of like, how do I present this to you so you, you don't just repeat it? And, it, and it, it simply boils down what I see is that it matters what you give into the world, it matters what you take out of it, and it matters your obsession with status. We, we can see that education has gone to an obsession with status. It's no longer about knowledge or learning or contributing or innovation is completely about status and the people with the 
highest student loans now are the people who are most obsessed with status and in a way who are contributing the least to our humanity and our collectives and our communities. And that's a very harsh thing to say, but that is the reality of it. We were all talking about the people that we're losing who don't have those obsessions with status that often didn't start off to have these sort of academic qualifications to feel that they'd made it and had a position. They did enough to get them started and they worked their way up and they became knowledgeable and contributing figures to our humanity. If we weren't obsessed with our status, none of this would exist. There would be enough to go around for everybody. And one wonders who really decides that status.